What up, HyperChange? Welcome to another episode. Today, we've got an interview with Omar Kazi. Uh, what up, Omar? Welcome to the show. What up, Gally? Super excited to be here. It's going to be fun. Yeah, you are like a, a legendary member of the Tesla community. Um, and one thing I know you've been scheming on is the FSD button. Um, and I think this is mm. like the biggest deal. Elon's been tweeting about um, essentially a button coming to the app that will allow people to request access to the FSD beta program which I think as of the last earnings call, they mentioned about a thousand people are on. Um, so it sounds right. like that might be about to double, maybe even expand a little bit beyond that. And for those of us thinking about the Tesla thesis, autonomy, software, the car turning into software, like this is everything. Um, so I just right. am, am so stoked. I know you've had FSD beta um, for a while. So maybe you could just fill us in on like- Four months now, yeah. Yeah, can you, can you uh, fill us in on what you're willing to share about that? Yeah, so- the button is super exciting. Um, you know, the beta has been going on for about four months now. There have been about a thousand people using the beta. Uh, Tesla employees have had it for a while, obviously, even before the, the public beta started. But about four months ago, they started giving it to like, you know, John from uh, Tesla owners of Silicon Valley, basically like handpicked, careful drivers who they can trust, right? Because this software is extremely, um, you know, it's amazing, but it's also not ready for release yet, right? Like, I'm sure you've seen yourself using it. Like, there are times when you really need to watch it and you really need to take over because it can do some crazy things. Um, so, they, you know, obviously releasing it in a careful way and making it bigger and bigger over time is the goal um, as it gets more reliable. Um, but they want it to be super careful about, like, dishing this out. They don't want to, like, for example, give it to one of those TikToker kids who tries to, like, fool the system <laughs> and sit in the back seat, you know? Like, that's really the kind of nemesis of FSD is, like, these TikToker kids. But, you know, um, now it's it started to, get, started to get significantly better since the earlier versions. And Elon says the next version, 8.3, is going to have about a thousand different fixes. So... At first, they were saying, okay, if you want to try the beta, let us know. Um, but then what they decided to do, apparently, is just have this button um, where if anyone wants to try the beta, they just push the button. So this should be coming out as early as the weekend of the 19th of March. Um, and yeah, if you have FSD and you want to try the beta, you can push the button. And you can just download it onto your car the next time you're on Wi-Fi and you can try it. And this is pretty insane because this is the first large scale deployment of really city streets driving software ever, right? So nobody has ever really tried to launch a product at scale. That's the key word at scale. I mean, you've got Waymo doing their you know driverless rides in Chandler, Arizona, which actually I went and tried recently. But this is the first time it's really going to be at scale. So this is really exciting. Um, there's a lot of risks. Um, you know, it's a lot to be excited about. It's a lot to be nervous about. Um, there will be a lot of good press. There will be a lot of bad press. And uh, yeah, it's going to be crazy. Everyone's waiting for this button. And it's it's really epic how it's just the over-the-air update. Like I know Elon got a lot of hate for like robo taxi, a million robo-taxis by 2020. But now we're in like Q1 2021 and it's basically already happening to a good portion of the cars. And it's literally an over the air update, 
which I think is pretty incredible. And another thing I was thinking a lot as I joined the FSD beta, like was in some clubhouse rooms, just talking to other people who are on it, you realize how much like goodwill there is in the Tesla community and how that's to me, a lot of the secret sauce is like all of us who are helping test the FSD beta, like we want Tesla to succeed. Like we're trying to help them. Like we give them the benefit of the doubt. We're not trying to sabotage it. And like, we're kind of like this army of grassroots people training the neural net in tandem with Tesla's actual, you know, employee team. Um, and I just feel like that's, it's such a fun thing to be a part of. And I think like, it's fun. It's an awesome way for Tesla to reward their sort of early supporters, but it's also like an amazing secret sauce for how this technology is actually going to come to market and develop. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's just so important to get it tested with real people um, to make it safe and to be able to get a lot of these benefits. This is really the hard thing about autonomy. I mean, everyone and their mom can really make a piece of software that can make right and left turns, right? That isn't really that hard. And really you've seen like dozens of autonomy companies um, that have been able to do this. And you can get a, you know, you can get a good demo working pretty easily. That's fine. But then why haven't we been able to use self-driving cars, even though, you know, we first saw Google start talking about self-driving cars over 12 years ago now. So why is it? Why do we still not have self-driving cars, even though it's been 12 years? Well, the issue with autonomy isn't, you know, okay, I made a right turn or a left turn. It's I can make all the right turns and all the left turns anywhere in the country, you know, or even anywhere in the world um, at scale with all this crazy stuff happening, all this weird stuff happening. And that long tail of weird events is really what um, has stopped us from, from having these self-driving cars in our day-to-day -day life. So really getting real people from across the country to put their real data into it, this is the key to getting to truly driverless operation where your car can go pick something up and you're not even in the car. Yeah, and uh, I know you've done some really cool like drives on FSD. And can you tell us about like, what do you actually, what's your experience using FSD? Has that like made you believe in the technology a lot more? Definitely. Um, you know, I was always a, a big advocate for autopilot and full self-driving and their approach. I think it's a really misunderstood approach. Um, you know, people will say, okay, well, you know, it's just driver assistance, which is true. It is driver assistance today. But what people don't understand is Tesla has this genius iterative approach, right? Autonomy is like this massive, massive cake, right? And you can't just stuff your whole face in the cake and try and eat it all at once, right? You got to take it piece by piece. You got to take it step by step. So Tesla had this genius idea of doing this iterative approach where instead of like, okay, this is autonomy all at once, they're taking it one baby step at a time. So they started and they said, okay, we got cruise control, same cruise control as any other car. Okay, now we're adding traffic aware cruise control. It's just cruise control, except it doesn't hit the car in front of it. Okay, now that feature works. Now we're going to do auto lane change. It just automatically changes lanes without you disengaging. Okay, now that we can change lanes, what if on the highway, we knew what lane you need to be in and we automatically change lanes to get you there, but you confirm. So we're just suggesting the lane changes for you. Then, okay, now you don't even need to confirm. It'll just do it without confirmation. And just more, you know, okay, and now we're adding traffic lights. 
So just more and more and more features over time, still in this human supervised mode, but it's not like this huge thing where you're launching this whole robo taxi, you're really doing it piece by piece. And FSD is really the latest piece, um, but it's a completely new version of autopilot. It's a complete rewrite. If you were thinking about like the progress rate they were going at before, this is like a sudden step change. All It has a ton of new features that weren't there before. Um, and it's a huge leap forward. Um, but still using that incremental approach. So, you know, this is just the next step. It'll now be able to do, you know, parking spot to parking spot, really. Like you can be in one place, turn it on, and it'll take you all the way to your destination potentially without any interventions if you're lucky. Um, and as the system gets more and more reliable, okay, you're intervening less and less, less and less, you're gonna start to see autonomy allowed in certain areas. For example, like in a boring tunnel where there's no pedestrians or uh, you know, really anything to worry about, you'll probably be able to you know, take your hands off the wheel, relax, not worry about driving on the highway and this kind of stuff. You'll start to see autonomy in certain areas. And then as it gets reliable anywhere, you know, within a few years, you'll really be able to say, okay, take me from LA to New York and not touch a thing, you know, take a nap, do whatever. Yeah, and that incremental part of it is so fascinating for us to just kind of watch Tesla build it step by step. And then on the flip side, actually economically capture value step by step with the incrementally raising FSD prices. And that's kind of my favorite part from the investor side is like Tesla is monetizing this incrementally as we get there and they're expanding like the functionality to the user. So my like ROI, even if it's not fully autonomous, like the amount of stress that it saves me, just how cool it is, like how fun it is. Um, just how much easier it makes driving and navigating, like it's already adding, um, you know, huge amounts of value. So I'm kind of curious if you have any predictions about the FSD price increase that will follow this, because that's kind of what I think is the big thing is like, okay, we have subscription pricing rolling out. We're all super curious what that's going to look like. Elon keeps saying it's going to be a better deal to buy it, but I feel like, I don't know. Is it so that there's just so much kind of curiosity there, but, um, I also think it's yeah. like, we don't have to get to autonomy in six months for Tesla to start making a lot more money from this in six months. Right. Once the FSD right. kind of rolls out, you know? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely cool to be able to have it rolling out piece by piece. It also makes it easier from a regulatory perspective because you're not asking regulators to approve robo taxis. You're just saying, okay, we'll just approve traffic lights. Okay. Now we already know traffic lights works. Okay. We'll just approve, you know, right and left turns on city streets. So you're doing it piece by piece. Um, and it's also really important from a safety perspective because you know, if you wanna wait for everything to be done, a lot of people are gonna die in the meantime and get hurt because they can't use this software. And meanwhile, using this today, it's already a huge benefit. I mean, I like Teslas are really fast. I drive like a crazy person, you know, I've gotten like a lot of speeding tickets in my life. So, the ability to have this software that drives conservatively and makes conservative choices and you're still monitoring it, but it's driving like a reasonable person, that's gonna save lives today. So releasing it incrementally definitely, you know, I think is gonna save lives today. And then the other point that you made, which is really important is when you look at the unit economics of most of these robo-taxi businesses, like for example, Waymo, it's like complete dog shit unit economics, right? <laughs> 
like you're burning a billion dollars cash or more on the whole Waymo project. You got to hire all these engineers, you know, you have all these costs. And meanwhile, you're selling the ride for $5 and it's not even as good as an Uber because, you know, you have to get dropped off further away and all that. So this is one of the most underappreciated things about Tesla is they have a profitable way to bring autonomy to the masses. It's not going to be this massive cash burn. And this was really, you know, dictated by necessity. Just a while ago, Tesla didn't have that much cash. So they really needed to make it profitable because the business has to be profitable. So you can't have the business be profitable if autopilot is burning a ton of money. Um, and this is the thing is that even before, you know, people go, well, when are they going to be autonomous? Are they ever going to be autonomous? Sure, you can debate that, but it's kind of irrelevant to some extent from a financial perspective because they have a pricing structure where they can start to monetize this today as a driver assistance system. And that's just going to carry on as it gets more and more reliable and gets fully autonomous. So you're going to see the financial impact of this. Not, I mean, once they have robo taxis, that's going to be a huge cash flow generation. But even before robo taxis, Number one, they're going to start recognizing, you know, over a billion dollars of deferred revenue at high gross margins, right? So you've got the car business like twenty percent gross margins, and you know, with FSD, your, your gross margins are fifty to ninety percent. So it may be a small percentage of the car's price, but the margins are—it's going to be a large portion of the earnings. And not only are they going to get to recognize you know, over a billion dollars of deferred revenue, they're gonna be able to recognize more out of each sale. So you're immediately gonna see the gross margin go up. You're immediately gonna see the FSD take rate go up, which will boost average selling prices. Um, and it, I think it'll also accelerate orders for the cars where people are seeing FSD and they're saying, hey, you know what, I want a Tesla versus for example, you know, a Chevy Bolt or something like that, or, you know, even a, a BMW or a gas powered car. So you're going to start to see a financial impact immediately. And really, I think part of the rationale behind raising the prices is to get people uh, prepared for the subscription and to make it so that when the subscription arrives, people are going to be excited for it because buying in full is so expensive. Um, and this is, this is a pricing that's really going to work better for Tesla long-term. Providing this service has ongoing costs. They need to label a huge amount of data. This involves people really like, you know, in a room manually labeling all these videos. So Tesla has large ongoing costs associated with providing the service and a subscription model really kind of um, makes more sense in the sense that the revenue is coming in on a recurring basis from the user and the costs are coming on on an ongoing basis from training the system and all that. Um, so this this revenue uh, this revenue model works better and Wall Street is gonna love it because- What, what do you think they they're gonna love... price it at? I'm, I'm really curious. Hmm, well, you know, I don't think it's gonna, I think it's gonna be probably around 199 or something because if you just do the math, Elon said that buying in full is gonna be a better option. So if you look at a lease right now, um, on, on the Tesla website and you add in FSD to a lease, it's about, I think like 130, right? So mm. um, it's not gonna be less than 150, 
And I think that, you know, more than 200 might be a little bit too much for now. This is just my guess, but, you know, I think it's going to be somewhere in that area. And it's pretty crazy if you think about it, because, you know, the car, you know, you could lease for maybe 400 a month. And then now here you've got this FSD recurring subscription, which is coming into Tesla every month. They don't have any, you know, hard costs, uh, but they're bringing in a lot of uh, a lot of revenue from there. And then there's insurance and other stuff, which I think they're going to bundle together with FSD because it makes a lot of sense. The more you use FSD, the less you pay for insurance. Yeah, and it's crazy. I was I was just thinking if you crunch some numbers, like a thousand dollars on every car, if Tesla's pumping out two hundred fifty thousand cars a quarter, is two hundred fifty million dollars in profit. So it's like if FSD goes up two grand. You know, we're talking about hundreds of millions. That's half a billion dollars in annual profit. So you start to see like how kind of savage this scale is. And another thing I was thinking is, um, okay, we're all talking about how amazingly cash flow generative these robo taxis are. I actually think that's kind of a misconception for a lot of the players that are not Tesla. Because what do you really have to do? Yeah, buy a bunch of these cars, put a ton of sensors on them, put all the money up front on something that costs you 70 grand. And instead of getting paid 80 grand where you only make a small margin, you got paid zero and start charging $5 a ride in a race to the bottom price-wise competing with all these other robo-taxis and it's going to take you years to get the cash flow of just the cost to build that. So Tesla, I think is kind of in a unique position where they have it down to like 25 grand where they can actually build a model yeah. two, two, four. And then it's like, okay, you could recoup those costs pretty quickly um, for robo-taxi, but it's going to cost you 75 grand and you're going head to head with Tesla on pricing. Like, I'm not sure that's a cash flow, a great cash flow business. You know what I mean? Like who's going to put yeah. up the billions up front. So it's kind of interesting that um, I think the barriers to entry, as much as Elon like hates moats, like this is going to be like, and Peter Thiel's always like invest in monopolies, right? This is like the most epic monopoly I could think of. Like Google's has a monopoly on search because of the AI and data flywheel, like runaway effect that we're saying Tesla has, like they get the free data. You know, Google has the free data when you type in the searches, um, as opposed to Waymo and Cruz paying for data. And so to me, that where, if you just think where that plays out, it's a similar monopolistic sort of flywheel where nobody can catch up because Tesla is so far ahead. It would take, cost so much money and take so much data. It just isn't, if it hasn't happened by now, it's not going to almost. So like, um, like it's kind of scary to think about, but I think it's a serious like competitive advantage yeah. here. Um, and yeah, I don't know if you have any comments on that. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. When you look at say the cost structure of a Waymo or a cruise car or something, these cars typically come in around $250,000 to $400,000. So why is that? Well, you've got to make the car first, right? So you've got Fiat Chrysler or whoever making a car, and then they finish the car from the factory, they ship it out to Waymo. Then Waymo has to take the car, bring it into their secondary factory, and they have to then re-outfit the car with these sensors aftermarket, right? It doesn't come in at the factory in the normal production line process. It comes in after. And then they have to do that. They need all this labor. You know, they got to test it. These sensors are expensive. You know, the, the LIDARs can cost, you know, thousands of dollars. And then if a rock hits it and it breaks, you know, they need, they really have several LIDARs on them and all these cameras, all this hardware, you know, they need to re-outfit the inside of the car. Um, they need to, you know, pay safety drivers. So it's, it's really expensive. Um, and there definitely are network effects. So similar to the way, you know, Google or Facebook, it's like, okay, why am I on, you know, Instagram or why am I on Google? Because all the other users provide a huge benefit, right? So I'm going to go on Facebook. I can find Galley on there. 
I'm not going to go on, say, you know, Apple Ping, which doesn't exist anymore, but like some random social network where, you know, there's no users because it has no value for me. And self-driving cars are going to have network effects to the max, like we've never seen before, because all the other users make the system better. The more users in your area, the more likely they are to have spotted a problem and fixed a problem before. So as more and more people uh, use the software, it's going to get better. And as it gets better, that's going to bring in even more users. So it is like this crazy flywheel. And let me tell you, I'm sure you've experienced this yourself to some extent. The, the difference between like a good self-driving car and a bad self-driving car is huge, right? So if it works great, it's like, wow, that was awesome. That was smooth. And if it doesn't work well, it's like, wow, that fucking sucked. That was not only scary, it was in some cases physically painful, you know, if it stops really suddenly or something like that. And people don't want to get in that <laughs> shitty self-driving car, you know, and it is really, really hard. It's not just not hitting something, right? It's, you have to not hit something, you have to not hit anything, you have to be smooth, you have to not annoy the other drivers, you have to not annoy the passengers, right? So even if you're just going the speed limit, that can be annoying for the passengers, like, oh my God, you're going so slow, or you're just letting everyone go in front, you're letting all the pedestrians walk. This is really, really insanely difficult, the most difficult computing and software problem ever attempted by humans. And the only way to do it is really to just learn from humans, to just watch how the humans drive and try and copy them, detect any differences. Um, and it's gonna have profound network effects. I think Elon said, you know, when, when you and I went and uh, talked to him back in January of last year, he said, you know, in 10 years, autonomy is gonna seem easy. So in 10 years, this is gonna be more or less commoditized. You know, maybe it'll take a little longer, um, but in around 10 years, everyone's going to have autonomy. But in this decade, there is going to be massive differences, massive between what different providers can offer. And this is going to be the single biggest distinguishing factor in cars. Okay, so what if Mercedes has this amazing, you know, German luxury interior or whatever? If I have to drive it, fuck it. You know, that's I'm not luxury. Can drive itself. Like, what exactly. is the ultimate idea of luxury? Like, before all of this is a thing, getting chauffeured around the world Lucid's still living right. in. But you know, but that's what yeah. Tesla is bringing to everyone. Um, and I yeah. think that in that ten years, where we have this sort of fragmented, like people at totally different levels of actual functionality, um, I think that's going to be one of the greatest profit windfalls of like the history of capitalism. And Tesla's going to be in that yeah. monopolistic position for almost a decade and just make hundreds of billions in cash flow. And then maybe it gets commoditized, but they still, um, I don't know. And then it, it's kind of yeah. interesting to think about what happens after that. But I see this like moment yeah. in time um, and kind of like what Ark talks about where there's just such a big barrier where it's like a 90% reduction in the like cost per mile traveled. Um, which I also think I love this analogy of like, is Tesla a bigger threat to Amazon or is uh, than Amazon is to Tesla because Tesla's going to drop the cost of getting stuff like yeah by so much you know it's 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 going to be mind-boggling I think yeah yeah I, I completely agree I mean this is a really really big thing when you look at the global economy what are the two biggest 
factors that are a cost of every single good and service. Transportation and energy. Those are the two biggest components of everything. And we've gone to war over energy, right? Because we've seen it in the 70s, like when our access to energy gets cut off, the economy just shits the bed. So every single thing, you know, you buy a can of Coke, that has the cost of transport. It has the cost of a truck driver in it. Into that $1 Coke can, there's a truck driver, there's, you know, a truck, there's fuel for the truck. Um, there, all these things, even just making this episode of hyperchange right now, there is energy, right? We're using electricity. So this is, this is a really, really big deal. Um, and it's going to completely change every single aspect of the economy. Nothing is going to be unaffected. And, and there's a really um, interesting, change- or sorry, what, but one thing you just made me think of is this whole carbon tax idea and that we're not pricing in negative externalities. So what if governments and humans get woken up where we realize like, what about all these negative externalities we're not pricing in of like healthcare of, of truck yeah. drivers being like the most unhealthy job of like all the fossil fuel emissions of like shipping everything everywhere of like burning fossil fuels and we put the taxes that should be on those things on those things then it looks even more compelling yeah. uh of a, of a like it's an even bigger right. cost like even as much as it looks like a big cost we're actually paying even more because of all the pollution yeah. and so i see the public just getting woker and woker and then the pressure <laughs> mounting more and more for this ev you know trend like that's why lucid is worth 30 billion, even though they have nothing, because people know that like they're just desperate for exposure to EVs because they feel, you know, this kind of like tidal yeah. wave shift. I completely agree, Yali. And I think that, you know, it's it's about it's not about it's about wokeness to some extent, but really like the reason why we haven't priced these externalities in is because we can't afford to, right? So EVs haven't been cost competitive with gas cars. There haven't really been EVs, EV trucks on the market. And that means that the cost of pricing in these externalities would be huge, right? So people would go hungry because if you're, for example, putting a tax on fuel to get the you know, consumption down, that means people don't have access to transportation. So having economic options where you can now price in these costs rather than making you know average people really poor people who live near the highway pay for them with their health pay for them with their life now you have the technology to be able to price in these externalities and rather than people saying okay well now i can't afford transportation now they just say okay well now i can now i'm going to go to this green transportation option which is still like economically competitive, which is affordable. If the price is lower, then they don't have to pay that cost and you can really price in um, everything you need to price in. And yeah, and you were also mentioning Amazon. I do think like, you know, businesses like Amazon, they realize that this has the potential to completely throw everything up in the air. And this is why you see Bezos invest in Rivian, invest in Aurora, they acquired Souks. So they're very much aware that like autonomy has the potential to really kick down their sandcastle and they're trying to, you know, get their house in order. So what do you think of all these other EV companies? I'd have a hard time like balancing like my love for the innovation, the EV sector and wanting, you know, it's not just going to be Tesla, obviously, but also kind of feeling like the lucid Nikola Fiskers of the world aren't in it for the right reasons. Uh, Rivian, I'm still mm-hmm. kind of up in the air, but even them, it just feels like they're not 
they don't have the focus and kind of I don't know. I, I can't put my finger on it, but they don't seem like, like right. I think I had five years and I don't see them changing the world. I don't see them moving anything forward. I don't see them living up to the hype well, that they're promising, but I don't know. I'm so yeah, kind of curious. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really great that we are seeing this research, like the EV market is just beautiful right now, beautiful and strong. And it used to be that in the past there were no EVs and the EVs that there were for most automakers, they were really ugly and they were slow <laughs> and they were shitty. Right. Yeah. So we've seen this start to change in a really exciting way. You've seen, for example, the Porsche take on, right? So this, I mean, you can make jokes about it's, you know, 192 mile range or whatever, but it is a, it's a Porsche, right? It's a, it's a desirable luxury car and it's electric and you know they've got audi they've got you know the mustang mach e is i think a really surprisingly uh great ev from ford um and you've of course also got these startups like uh lucid and rib and rivian you've got this spac boom that has really brought a lot of um ev companies into the public markets it's a lot of capital that's, that's, you know, essentially 10, right. that's what the SPAC boom really did is like gave essentially billion dollar grants to like 10 companies. And it's like, well, you can, yeah. you know, which is, uh, so even if a lot of them fail, I think progress will be made, you know? So I think it's right. a net really I mean, good thing. Yeah. So, I mean, it is good. This is, this is kind of like what you would expect to see is that, or what you would hope to see is that everyone's making electric vehicles and getting ready for a time where they're only selling electric vehicles and polluting cars um, become a minority. But, you know, I think that people forget kind of, I mean, the reality hasn't changed. You know, Tesla really changed everything. First of all, they made it look easy, right? They made it look easy to start a car company and it's really yeah. not, so. Honestly, I think now, that's the, that can sum it all up right there. Like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. And, and that goes for both legacy automakers and, um, and the startups. So for the startups, you've seen cars like the Volkswagen ID3 and ID4, which are, you know, they're EVs. Um, they're priced affordably, which is great. But you look at the legacy auto software and the charging network and, you know, the driver assistance and stuff, and it's really not all there. They're not great at software. So even though they can make an EV, they can't really make a Tesla. Like taking a road trip is not going to be a great experience. So there's a lot of work to do there. And, and just managing the cell constraints, that's a huge challenge for legacy auto. So it's not that simple that, okay, Tesla proved people want EVs. Now legacy auto is going to make an EV. But, and I just want to spend a second on the software because you're a real software guy. And that's one thing that I think is mm -hmm. so interesting. Like let, let Apple, 90 or 10% market share, 90% of the profits. Who tried to replicate their software like magic, je ne sais quoi, the iPhone? Mm -hmm. Google, the world's number one software right. company with Android. And after 15 years of doing it, they still can't do it. And iPhone right. still has the iron grip on that software UI magic. So I see Tesla developing that same like kind of je ne sais quoi, mm -hmm. Apple-esque software UI mm -hmm. magic that changes the user experience and gets you so hooked and is why everyone's so brand loyal. And so I'm like, okay, if Google couldn't do that to Apple, couldn't catch up to Apple, mm -hmm. you think Ford's going to catch up to Tesla? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like this, it just isn't, um, like I saw a bunch of videos of like the ID um, for touchscreen, I think. And you look at this and yeah. you play with it for one oh, second. Man. It's like, dude, this is like, 
Like, this is like a joke. And I even remember I went into like the mock yeah. e-touch screen. It was technically not, I wasn't supposed to film and like, it was still a super beta, mm -hmm. but even that was just so like, they have like the weird button in right. the middle. Um, but I don't know, I'm kind of curious yeah. as a software guy, how you think about mm -hmm. how that core competency is now, used to be nothing with software and now it's everything with software if you're GM or Ford. Right, so, I mean, this is really part of the whole kind of software eats the world thing that Mark Andreessen of, and Drayson Horowitz really kind of came up with. He said, software is eating the world, which really means like software companies are taking over every industry. And really kind of the underlying economic reality here is that if your business is not a software business, it's not gonna survive because every business needs to be a software business. And that is really what the legacy automakers are struggling with. These are guys who know how to make hardware. And now all the value in a car is not going to be in the hardware. The hardware is essentially going to be commoditized to almost no earnings potential. And all the value is going to be in the software. And I think it's really interesting when you look at the smartphone market, because Android actually has, you know, a lot more of an installed base than iOS does. But Apple has managed to capture the majority of the profit share of the market by delivering a really great integrated product. So you can, you know, make a ton of Android phones, but Apple is still able to capture the lion's share of the profit in the market by really making a great product and really, you know, catching that high end of the market um, where people are really spending money. And I think, you could see some similar dynamics happen in the EV software space um, and even see a lot of licensing of like uh, FSD and other technologies to other automakers uh, as well. Ooh. I want to talk about the FSD licensing, but I want to flip this on its head where all the values in the software is what we just said, but also in the long run at Battery Day, what does Elon say their mode is? Manufacturing, which we also just said is commoditized because of autonomy. But then once autonomy mm -hmm. gets commoditized, the moat swings back to manufacturing. Or I don't know, I just think this is an interesting mm -hmm. juxtaposition to yeah. think about of like how all the value is in the software and we know that and that's the thesis, yet Elon is like, in the long run, manufacturing is our advantage. So I'm I think a lot right. about that because it felt like he was trying to insinuate something very like powerful and really long, like if you're thinking really long-term um, yeah. about them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, you can have this great autopilot software, but, if you don't have a robo-taxi battery, right, um, where you actually have a battery that can last for a million miles. So a robo-taxi may drive 100,000 miles a year. So if a car drives for 100,000 miles a year, the battery pack really needs to last for a million miles or else with the current batteries, you're gonna have a car that only lasts three to five years and then it's a dead, right? If it's driving 100,000 miles a year. So this is really important. First of all, not only making great hardware um, that can run it, but also being able to make enough. So there aren't enough cells in the world to make the number of EVs we need to make. So you could have this great software, you know, you've achieved level five FSD hypothetically, but if you don't have enough cells, you know, it doesn't matter. You're only gonna be able to make as many cars as there are cells. So really the key is you know, great high volume manufacturing, being able to pump out as many cells as possible um, to, to really meet this demand. And in order to be able to kind of commoditize the hardware 
you need really, really lean manufacturing. So to be able to kind of, you know, like I think long-term, and you've already started to see this happen where the car price is coming down, right? So the price of a Model 3 has come down and down and down until now it's kind of close to that 35,000. Um, but the price of the software has gone up and up and up. And this is just a really kind of simple way to think about it. It's like, okay, the car is gonna be cheaper. So they're gonna get you into the door with this, with this cheap car, you know, okay, I'm paying 25,000, I'm paying 35,000 and I'm getting this really, really great high quality car and manufacturing supremacy is what's allowing that. But then once I get in the car, I'm now subscribing to FSD, to insurance, to premium connectivity. Um, to games. I'm buying all these software and services from Tesla. And that is really what is paying for this really great commoditized hardware. Um, and, you know, really when Elon was talking about that at Battery Day, you know, everyone else is trying to copy Tesla's skateboard. But Tesla has now developed this dramatically new manufacturing process where the battery becomes a structural part of the car. And this is just going to be a huge leap forward, much simpler to manufacture. They're going to be able to make the cars much faster. They're going to be able to make way more cells. And it's not, you know, it's not just that a software company could do this. The, the vertical integration is key from top to bottom. The fact that one company is designing the hardware and they're designing the hardware with the RoboTaxi software in mind. And they can actually afford to price the cars at relatively thin margins because they want to do that because they're still going to make the money over here from the software. So whether you're charging, whether you make the money on the car or the software, it doesn't really matter as long as the money is coming in, right? So they can afford to do that. They can afford to say, okay, we're going to price these cars at razor thin to no margins, maybe even lose money on the car hardware because the software is going to be so lucrative and we want to get that user base up and extract, you know, value from the user base. And as we think about this evolves, uh, you mentioned licensing, which is a really big, interesting part of like, once this gets really good, would Tesla license this software? But, you know, one thing I've always thought is if you kind of go down that rabbit hole, it's like, okay, well, if Tesla's the best at building cars, you have to build the sensors into the cars. You know, you have to have the FSD computer, which Tesla has. You're building the car with this me mega casting stamping machine. You have the 4680 structural pack, which, you know, it's like, well, why are they licensing it and letting Volkswagen build it when mm. Tesla's better at building it? So it just seems like, right. and we're limited on how many cells we have for, for a really mm. long time. So to me, it just keeps coming down to the fact of like, it actually just makes the most sense for Tesla to like do it all themselves and just build all these right. taxis themselves versus licensing it and having someone try to, Right. Like it's not so, that easy, you know, just to press a um, button and license. So the thing about, autopilot that's really amazing is just how little it needs, right? So you've got all these other self-driving cars. They got all these other ugly LIDARs and sensors. They got these huge computers that take up the whole trunk, not with autopilot. With autopilot, you just need cameras. That's it. Cameras cost like $5, <laughs> like literally, like they're so cheap. And a radar, a radar is also cheap. And sonar sensors, ultrasonic sonar fox, they're also cheap. So the hardware is really cheap. The Tesla FSD computer, you know, it probably costs around 500 bucks or something. Um, so 
these are this hardware super cheap and you can really put it into any car that you want so that so for, if it's possible from a technical perspective to do this then why license it well maybe in kind of normal competitive dynamics you would think like okay we want to keep this for ourselves make it a flagship feature but in the ai world having this data is enormously valuable and you have someone like volkswagen where they're like okay we can try and catch up to tesla and maybe you know they would catch up with tesla in an amount of time or you can give them the choice okay try and make your own and catch up to us or just get our software you know, make all your customers happy, delight them, you know, get them onto our team in terms of like regulatory and all that. And then just have this insurmountable data lead that nobody can catch because you're not only getting all the data from Tesla cars, but really from like every car in the world. And you're able to sell them insurance and do all these other things. And I think they'll sell their 4680 sales to other people if they're able to do it. And I think they'll license autopilot and I think they'll open up superchargers. And the whole industry is trying to go electric, right? They're all trying to go electric. And Tesla has a lot to offer the industry. So I think this is really kind of underappreciated is just how, you know, Tesla could make, have a huge business, not only selling their own cars, which I think will continue to be the best, but you don't always need the best, right? Like if you have a senior retirement community and they just need a van, you know, like a big van. And, uh, you know, it's not really anybody's car. They don't care. It doesn't need to be a Tesla, but you can still put autopilot on it and, you know, design it for whatever you want. It's going to be like a playground of interior design, people designing all these interiors for autonomy. So I think it's a good idea just for the data and, you know, for a lot of other reasons. It's also just like Tesla doesn't have to put any capex towards building the car. They don't have to do anything. And the cars are going to be like a commodity anyway. Like the margins are not there. So make the money on the software. It makes a lot of sense. Help them go wow. faster. Yeah. And it's the, the amount of technology, like when I drive my Tesla, I'm like, oh my God. Like, I feel like it's like this crazy supercomputer <laughs> that is like, it's just not a yeah. car. Like there's so much insane technology under the hood that Tesla, there's so many components of it that each feel like they're trillion dollar problem, like the chip with the neural net running on it just alone feels like, you know, so much. Um, but in another piece of the technology, uh, moving to like the 4680 cell, because I think this is really interesting with the news that recently hit with the $10,000 uh, Plaid Plus price increase with a delay in delivery date. Um, you know, they admitted the 2170 or 1850s, sorry, I think it's 1850s are still in the Model S and X, just like an updated version for the new Plaid yeah. ones. Uh, but Plaid Plus, we're all speculating that it's the 4680, be kind of the first car with the 4680, unless there's a Model yeah. Y in Berlin about to drop. And so to me, this is like right. what I'm really focused on, you know, can we scale this revolutionary technology? Like, it's so game changing, but I think, it, you know, it's going to be hard to actually really commercialize it into a product. That's a huge step. So to see that get delayed another six months and then raise the price on it is kind of, to me, signaling a, you know, material sort of de delay, micro delay mm -hmm. in the commercialization mm -hmm. of the 4680. Um, and I'm kind of curious how you're reading into that or what your thoughts are. Yeah, so, I mean, we always knew that making 4680 cells were going to be hard. Um, originally, you know, at Battery Day, they were announcing the, the Plaid Model S for late 2021. 
Um, and then they, they kind of went around and said, okay, well, actually we're gonna make what we announced called Plaid Plus, and we're going to do kind of the new interior and that kind of stuff now in March with the old 18650 cells. So they're kind of separating it out into two pieces. The first part is like what you can see on the, on the outside, which is the interior and the exterior, the aesthetics of the car. They brought the new plaid design to us earlier with the old batteries. And I think what the reason they did that was really kind of to show up Lucid. You know, Lucid's trying to get their product to market and they kind of pulled their pants down to some extent, just like, okay, well, here's a new design for the Model S. Um, get people excited, like get people ordering. And yeah, we're gonna then have, you know, the new battery tech later in the year. Um, so that in itself, I think, wasn't necessarily um, indicative of the delay, but the price increase definitely suggests that like, okay, um, this is gonna be a little more of a challenge for us than we expected, which is kind of like, I mean, no one thought that making 4680 cells is gonna be easy, especially for Tesla, they've never made cells before. Mm -hmm. So I think they're, they're getting help from, from uh, Panasonic and LG Chem, tapping into their expertise. Um, both Panasonic and LG Chem are going to be helping them set up 4680 lines. Um, but like if you look at Cato Road, and I go over there sometimes, just like, you know, over to where we, we had battery day, um, just to like peek at the building and see what's going on. Like they got people there all the time, 24-7, like making cells. And they are setting up production in Berlin and Austin for 4680 cells and structural pack. Like they're not setting up the old production process for Model Y in Berlin and Austin. They are setting up these castings and those are designed for the 4680 cells. So clearly they have some level of confidence um, in this process that they were able to commit to Berlin and they're not gonna be able to make the Berlin and Austin cars without the 4680 cells, which they're gonna start by importing from Fremont before they get it up locally. Um, so the price increase probably, you know, suggests to me that the yield is a little bit lower than they like. So when the yield is lower than they like, what they, that really means is that you make the cells and then you test them and half the cells don't work, you know? So you end up basically like throwing them away or recycling them um, back for, you know, materials. So, you know, as you improve the production process, the yield hopefully improves and more and more of the cells that come out of the line are working properly. Um, but if you're throwing away more cells, well, that explains why the price would be a little bit higher. But I think this was also part of the reasoning behind doing a Plaid Model S because you got a $150,000 car. This is going to kind of absorb some of the higher initial costs as production ramps and really help scale production. And then once the production of 4680 cells has ramped sufficiently, they'll be able to offer, you know, Model Y Berlin and Model Y Austin at like a pretty affordable price that I think is gonna shock everyone. One thing I wanna gossip about is the Model 2. What have you, what are your thoughts on Tesla unveiling this in uh, potentially later this year? Cause that's what I've been hearing and it seems like this is a really big deal if they're actually moving forward with that plan, potentially even building the production line of it, kind of, by securing some new land next to the Shanghai factory. Yeah, um, I think this is a really big deal. 
too. Um, and I think that Elon is sandbagging it. And, you know, we've seen him sandbag a lot of things recently. And the reason why he's sandbagging it is he doesn't want people to know that there's going to be a $25,000 car that soon. Because if there's going to be a $25,000 car that soon, then, you know, some people might not want to buy a Model 3. And I think that it's going to be, I think that what they're doing is they're going to design it in China. And the new design team in China that they're hiring is going to design this car for the Chinese market. And I think it's going to launch there and it's going to have cattle uh, batteries, cattle LFP batteries, and Shanghai is going to export it around the world. And it's going to have full autonomy when it launches. Now, so that's going to be, wow. that's going to be huge. And this is going to be crazy. The export part is really interesting. Yeah. Too. Yeah. And you've already start, start, started to see a Shanghai export to Europe and uh, Australia and some places. And that is really just incredible when you think about like the margins and the quality out of Shanghai um, and starting to get that into Europe and other places. But this was really the whole idea behind Battery Day was like every single price point you see a gas car at you're going to be able to get an electric car cheaper. So you can have a $25,000 Toyota Camry, where you can have a $25,000 Tesla. And then you save fuel and maintenance savings on top of that. But, you know, I think we may actually get a $25,000 Tesla as early as this year or next year. Um, and, but it's not the one you're thinking of. It's the Model 3. And why is that? Well, we've got this tax credit, right? A $7,500 tax credit. So you've got a $35,000 Model 3 with a $7,500 tax credit um, and other production efficiencies that are going on, bigger castings. You're really, I think, with the tax credit and with the incentives, going to see the Model 3 really get under $30,000, I think. And that's going to be really powerful as well. Wow. Yeah, I didn't even, the, the new tax credit thing is huge for all these EV companies. Um, but it's definitely right. going to spur U.S. demand. I wonder if you think they would import a car from China for U.S. sale, or are they going to set up an, a line in Austin for this new $25,000 car? Hmm. Um, well, I suppose it's possible, but, um, you know, the U.S. has a lot of production, so they've got Austin and Fremont. I think Austin is going to be a really great low-cost um, production process. It kind of makes more sense to for Shanghai, I think, to serve some of the areas that are less affected. Uh, I mean, that have less Teslas available, like Europe and Australia, but it is possible they could import standard range cars or something, but the shipping cost might just make it, um, you know, not that worth it compared to uh, what they've got going on in Fremont and Austin, but we'll see, you know, anything's possible. Yep. All right. I'm going fast because I don't want to take too much of your time here, but I've got a few more. You got, we're good. Yeah. And uh, also um, I think uh, some of these fact things would be good to talk about too. Oh yeah. Okay. Last Tesla thing, Tesla AI day. I kind of wonder, this is kind of floating in the back of my head, Elon, this is potentially the next sort of Tesla investor day. Uh, but it kind of felt like Tesla autonomy day was Tesla AI day. So why, why would Tesla have a separate AI day? What do you think Elon's scheme in there? Well, you know, what Tesla's doing with AI is really incredible. AI, I mean, there's a lot of companies that do great AI, but a lot of it is like what I call science fair stuff, right? So 
really just, okay, we're making a cool demo. Look at what you can do with AI. But very few people are making real products with, with for example, deep neural nets. And the reason for that is like, deep neural nets are weird. You know, it's kind of like in Google, you know how sometimes you type in something into Google and the AI tries to come up with an answer, but it's like a really weird wrong answer, right? <laughs> so like, that's the thing about AI is like, it's hard to get it like really, really accurate. Like AI can do weird things um, and come up with weird answers. So having a real world AI system, which is life and death, right? Like it cannot make a mistake. It needs to work and it needs to work well. They're really like tackling these AI problems in a real world way, in a way that like there are very few products using a AI in a real world way like this. I mean, maybe like Google Assistant kind of thing um, is one example I can think of voice recognition, but even that is kind of a toy, you know, like people are not doing voice recognition all day. Like maybe, you know, sometimes or just to make like if it's cool demo or something, but this stuff isn't really happening in the real world. So Tesla is really like, this is going to be fundamental to our company making AI work in the real world. And they're really doing some amazing things. What people don't realize is that the Tesla AI team is not even working on self-driving at all. That's not what they're working on. What they're working on is a general purpose vision system, right? So this is an important distinction. The AI team makes this visual system that can, for example, detect landmarks or detect objects. And then there's a different team, the kind of project management team that's then using that vision system to like say, okay, this is a stop sign, blah, 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 and like programming and driving. But there could be a ton of implications beyond just driving. Like we're thinking too in the box if we think this breakthrough vision system, which can look at the world with cameras and then draw the whole street layout is just gonna be for driving. And when you look at what they're doing for the Tesla FSD chip, which speeds up neural network inference, again, this isn't just for driving. Any neural net, any vision processing neural net or other neural net, it can accelerate. And then the Dojo supercomputer, this is literally going to be one of the most powerful supercomputers in the world, is their ambition. Like exabyte scale computing, just like massive, massive, like, to, you know, to just compile one update for autopilot, one build, if you had one NVIDIA GPU on your computer, it would take over a year to make one build of autopilot. Wow. That's how, that's how massive of a computing task it is, one year. So they need to do this in like days. So what they do is they have like, you know, racks filled with tons and tons of NVIDIA GPUs. So they said, fuck it, why are we spending all this money on like NVIDIA GPUs? Let's just literally have Pete Bannon design a chip that can just accelerate neural network trading like nothing we've ever seen. And this is really gonna enable like operation vacation where data is coming in and it's automatically labeling it and automatically trading it. And even if the whole autopilot team goes on vacation, the system is getting better and better and better because it's checking, it's, it's essentially labeling with the real data. So. Like for example, one of the examples they gave was cutting detection, like detecting if someone's cutting in front of you. So it's really hard, like is someone cutting in front of you or are they just kind of drifting to the side of their lane? So what they did is they had the system predict 
whether someone's going to cut in, then they compare that to what actually happened. So did the car actually end up getting cut in? And then they can label that and they can say, okay, here were the false positives where we thought it was going to cut in, but it didn't. Here are the false negatives where we didn't detect that it was cutting in, but it did. And then that automatically kind of creates this flywheel and improves the system. So with like Dojo and other AI stuff, they're not just going to have this incredible self-driving system. They're going to have this incredible AI technology that can really be applied to like, you know, doing surgery, doing robots, like doing all this kind of stuff. It's kind of insane to think about. And it's like, how ironic is it that people didn't think Tesla was a tech company? Why is it not valued like a car company? And then it's like, oh, AI, like one of the biggest things we think about, they're leading in that. And it's like, you know, SpaceX, why is SpaceX such a dope investment? Not because of the businesses they're doing today, like the technology they're developing and how that will lead to monetization five, 10, 20 years from now. So that's when I think about this Tesla AI day, like, you know, kind of thinking beyond the car, like you're saying, how much applications does a vision-based system like this have? Uh, do, you know, I, I always go to the ex machina. Is that, you yeah. know, are we going to have humanoid robots like that? Um, if, yeah. if they do, are they going to want to license Tesla's vision-based system? Or is Tesla just going to build them themselves, uh, which is a little yeah. bit weird. But, you know, what are some kind of AI moonshots where you see Tesla going? Yeah, um, well, I, I think it's, it's hard to say, um, but it's really kind of like, you know, the shorts were really criticizing Tesla back in the Model 3 ramp days. They were like what the fuck is going on at this company? Why are they burning so much cash? Like, this is a joke, right? And what they didn't realize is like, Tesla's thinking way into the future. No other company is designing their own chip. They're buying chips off the shelf from a catalog, right? Like, okay, this is what's available from NVIDIA, let's buy it. Nobody's saying, okay, here's the self-driving car we wanna build. Nobody's making a chip that can do this. So we're gonna actually design our own chip. And at first it just looks like this massive cash burn. Like, why the fuck are they wasting money on this? But then several years down the road, when they start offering FSD subscription and doing robotaxi and all these things, it's like, oh, holy shit. This was actually like a huge investment in the future that's not going to be easy to replicate. So, I mean, you have seen Elon say that they could open up Dojo kind of like AWS, where, you know, AWS charges like six cents an, uh, an hour to rent a server. So similarly, like if you were building, you know, like let's say you were building an AI that reviewed financial statements to find like, you know, so you look at the best performing stocks and you analyze their financial statements. And then you have an AI that's automatically looking at all the financial statements and finding, you know, correlations between like stuff that's happened in the past, you know, and this is something that like Tesla might not necessarily want to build, but you might want to build. Well, you could use Dojo and just say, okay, here's all the financial data for all of history that we have. And Dojo's just like, boom, there you go. Here's the AI model is trained and you can go run this now. And you just pay Tesla like, you know, a couple bucks and you're able to use this massive infrastructure they have. And, and then on the flip side, the users who are renting that excess server capacity on their vehicles could get a revenue stream. Right. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. so it's like Tesla's the middleman for a decentralized computing network where you can buy into it and pay people, or you can rent out your excess. Is that kind of, it's almost like a metaphor yeah, for what they're doing in the transportation with Amazon, where if they have like a, a distributed, it's like a distributed AWS. Right. So that's what Tesla, yeah. Tesla's logistics kind of moonshot is so disruptive. It's a distributed logistics system with all these robo taxis going around. Like if I can connect people from A to B without driving them there. Why do we even need to store stuff in a warehouse? If I can just like 
I don't know. Yeah, maybe totally. that, that's a getting carried away with that analogy, but I just think I'm like, wow. This yeah, is, I, I mean, this dojo I agree, thing I mean, is kind of blowing my mind. Like it never clicked yeah. till right now. Like, do you think this yeah. is actually real? Like this kind of like AWS competitor? Cause um, I know a lot of people talk I think about it's, it. I think it's very real and it's being worked on actively. I mean, it's kind of interesting. Grimes had an Instagram live where Elon walked in on the background and I heard Grimes say, hey, is the supercomputer guy still here? You know? So like, this Dude, is something I love this I think- DD. This is why you do the best due diligence. Grimes is IG live. Elon- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, literally. She's like, hey, is the supercomputer guy still here? So I'm like, okay, like Dojo is like something that's really like in the works right now. Um, and, uh, and, you know, Dojo is a centralized computer. So it's like, it's in the server room, but also like there is that distributed aspect to it. So I think that, you know, oh, wait, for example, explain that. Because I thought it was the computer in the cars, or is Dojo a computer no, that has so HQ? The FSD computer in the car is optimized for inference, basically taking the AI model and running the AI model, and you know, detecting objects or whatever. But Dojo is running centralized at Tesla's office or in their data centers, and that is actually creating the cre- creating the AI model which uh, runs on the car. Um, But at the same time, like there is that kind of distributed aspect to it where, um, for example, you know, I I like to call it like robo work. You know, it's not just robo taxi. Like you say robo taxi, a lot of people say, well, I don't want to send my car out to go pick up some random idiot. And I think first (laughs) of all, like you'll be able to like limit it. So you'll be able to say like, okay, I only want five-star rated people. Yeah, five-star idiots. Yeah, exactly. Five star idiots. <laughs> like I only want five star rated people or I only want like my social media friends. Like, okay, if Galley wants to request my car, like that's fine. I can like shout at him if he does something to my car, you know, mm-hmm. or like you can limit it to friends and family or you could limit it to, for example, just, you know, delivering packages, no people. But then also like what people don't realize is like data, right? So someone could pay for a robo taxi and say, okay, I want you to go to the top of Twin Peaks or something and I want you to measure the temperature. I want you to go drive around and try and take pictures of, you know, trees that have fallen. And I'm going to actually pay the fleet to source data in a distributed way. So I'm sending out this detector for fallen trees. Like you can imagine, for example, a city that says, okay, I want to know about potholes. So they actually pay Tesla and actually pay RoboTaxi users to like your Tesla, they pay for the car to detect potholes and then send it up to the system. So they know like, you know, where the roads need to be repaired and that kind of stuff. And I think like that data aspect is unappreciated. And then there's also energy trading, which is something they said they're going to do in Berlin, where um, they're going to integrate auto bidder and virtual power plant into the cars. So the car can actually do energy trading. So that's vehicle to grid because Elon has kind of downplayed vehicle to grid, but it's mm-hmm. interesting how in the Texas blackouts, like it, your car having power became like everything. Like, yeah, people rarely yeah. use it, but like when you use it, if you need it, it could be worth like thousands of dollars to have power and power your home when no one else does. So yeah, yeah, I think- wh- you What's know, more about this Berlin thing that you were saying? Cause that sounds really interesting. Well, yeah, when he was kind of like downplaying it at battery day, they kind of dropped some mad hints. They're like, well, we are going to have, he said, you know, it's not really going to be for, he said, 
we think you're going to have a power wall for home for home battery backup. He was just trying to kind of sell power wall and say that you don't, you know, this isn't going to get rid of power wall. So he's like, you still want a power wall, but Berlin is going to support power in and out. So you can not only charge the battery, but you can discharge the battery back to the grid. And he said, this is going to be for energy market participation. So essentially like people can get paid to store renewable energy into their cars, excess renewable energy, when the grid is producing extra and they can get paid for discharging it back to the grid when it's peak load. And rather than fire, firing up like a peaker plant, they can just use the energy in the batteries. And Tesla has wow. developed this really amazing software called Virtual Power Plant, which they're using in Australia and other places. And what it lets them do is control all of these batteries over the internet so they can control when the power walls charge and discharge and control when the cars charge and discharge. So essentially you're taking like thousands of cars and power walls and making them into a mega pack. It can function exactly like a mega pack, but rather than being centralized, it's in everyone's home and just trading energy and making money doing that. And you're making money. So your car is making money for you, just like the robo taxi thing. Dude, this is, I think this is a huge part of what Tesla's scheming on and the Texas thing. So Texas is an unregulated energy market. So I was thinking like, what are they scheming with this battery? Like, how is this actually going to work? Yeah. What if they put up all the capital and they're building it and they're just going to charge it when it's cheap. And then when next time Jerry Jones and his squad tries to hike prices 2000% <laughs> on people out of nowhere, they're going to come in at a cheaper rate and start evening out that, that thing, almost like a rogue energy market participant because the Texas yeah. is sort of like this, you know, free market in the energy market. So I was like, wow, that's going to be epic. Like Tesla sort of operating and setting up either whether it's decentralized or centralized sort of power plants with these batteries is going to become a huge piece of it. And another reason I'm kind of bullish on this, ironically, is like, you know, Ron Barron is super hyped on this. Like Chamath, whenever he talks about Tesla now, he's scheming on this. And I think like, you know, he's in the know about yeah. all that stuff. And so um, a very kind of underappreciated part of, of that, but all right. So yeah, do, do, do totally we got to talk about SPACs or any more comments on this before we <laughs> hit Lucid? Uh, yeah. So the last thing I'll say is that like, you know, we always talk about cars with Tesla, but Elon made the point that like the energy business is bigger than the car business, right? So you've got the cars, but selling energy to the cars is a much bigger market um, and potentially much more lucrative in terms of earnings. Like you could buy power for 12 cents a kilowatt hour. And then in these disaster situations like Tesla, where it's like, you know, hundreds of dollars a kilowatt hour, you literally buy it for cents and sell it for huge amounts of money. Um, and Tesla has this auto bidder software that literally does this in an automated way. It uses AI to predict the prices of power and buy and trade power based on that. So definitely that's an enormous business, like potentially, you know, like, in 10 years, you know, some analysts have estimated like 30% of their revenue could come from energy rather than cars. And I think it could be anywhere from 30 to 50% because you can sell that energy to every EV, not just Tesla's. Wow. And there's, yeah, a huge increase in energy demand from the grid as everything goes electric. Think about your cyber truck and your, you know, semi truck, how much energy does yeah. that need? Where does that, all those problems, also opportunities for Tesla to create a business. Um, but okay, moving to Lucid, because you kind of, I, I didn't really know about this until you tweeted about some like the, I think it was a Wall Street Journal, mm -hmm. or actually, mm -hmm. I didn't know about this till I saw it yeah. on Twitter and read the Wall Street Journal mm -hmm. article about Lucid having like a, 
sort of relationship with the Saudis? Because my read on this is in 2018, the Saudis invested in Lucid for what looks like about a 51% stake. So Lucid was kind of struggling, about to go bankrupt. That's my theory of what was happening. Very desperate yeah. for funding. The Saudis came in, got right. a huge chunk of the company at a super cheap price relative to what it's at now because it was in such financial distress. Um, and apparently there was some sort of clause with that, that they actually have to build a factory in Saudi Arabia. Am I, am I getting that right? It just seems too ridiculous. Yeah, that's what the Wall Street Journal reported. It, it's kind of insane. Um, and, you know, Lucid has been spacking and they haven't really disclosed this, but apparently, I mean, the Saudis bought the company, right? They bought more, they bought a majority share of the company, more than 50% of the shares. So right now, Lucid is owned by Saudi Arabia, which is kind of this ironic situation where it's like, okay, you got the world's biggest oil company and they own up this luxury EV company. Um, so is Lucid really going to be the one that's going to like destroy oil? You know, no, obviously not. The Saudis aren't going to let them, but now they're trying to SPAC it, right? So they're trying to offload this onto the public. Um, and uh, Lucid and the Saudis have provided 600 million in bridge funding until the deal closes. So, um, so they're kind of like financing it until the deal closes, but they're trying wow. to get this. I didn't realize they were still the ones kind of pushing it through. Right. And that kind of, you know, hints at just how much the cash burn is. And I think you made a really good observation, oh, which yeah. is like for them to take this deal, right? So a billion dollars for 50% of the company, more than 50% of the company. So you know, less than a $2 billion valuation, Lucid must have been like about to go bankrupt. You know, they were really like desperate for cash. And I think the Saudis were looking to invest in some EV thing. You know, you can guess about what their motivations were there, but they were, you know, were talking to Elon about maybe doing an investment famously. Thank God that didn't happen. And um, then there was Lucid and they actually did the deal with Lucid. So you can imagine like how desperate things must have been for them to take that $1 billion from Saudi Arabia. And some analysts have estimated that the cost of setting up a factory in Saudi Arabia is going to be at least 700 million, right? So really it was a deal with the devil. Like you got the billion, but you're going to have to spend it all back in Saudi Arabia. And, oh, okay, so it's a factory in Saudi Arabia. So what? Well, there are no car factories in Saudi Arabia, right? There is no production. There is no supply chain whatsoever. So that means that you're going to have to import all the parts. So if you're importing all the cells, importing the, the doors, the interior, really importing every part of the car, how do you make it price competitive with, say, China, where this year 100% of the supply chain for Gigafactory Shanghai is going to be localized in China. Um, it's not going to be cost competitive. So this is really like, you know, makes you raise your eyebrows. Like, why did Lucid take this deal? This is not going to be competitive. And, you know, they tried to downplay it by going, oh, well, you know, we're going to do a factory in Europe and Asia and, you know, the Middle East. We're doing too. them everywhere. It's like, but I mean, like, you don't really want to piss off the Saudis. The Saudis are like, hey, come on. We need you to make good on your promise um, and build this factory. And they're kind of like, well, you know, let's get the Arizona one up first. But um, yeah, not really a great situation to be in um, with, with that whole situation. And now they're trying to spac it out, offload it onto retail, which really shows like, you know, people forget this is like a huge cash burning business. 
um, just making any car. And not only is it a huge cash burning business that requires a ton of capital, the margins are not great. Like it's super competitive. Like you really need to get the price down. Like you cannot just charge whatever. So it's a really, really tough business. And yet you see all this SPAC money from retail, just like basically capitalizing on what happened to Tesla. It's like, oh, Tesla went up. Well, hey, this is, we're going to sell this equity to you as the next Tesla. Even though it doesn't have any of that software, any of that AI stuff, it's just the commodity low margin car business. We're going to SPAC it out to retail and retail is going to buy it up. And I do think there's like kind of an EV SPAC bubble to some extent. Um, it's right? these companies that are just like ridiculous. Yeah. And, and the SEC filings for Lucid, I couldn't find back a couple of weeks ago when it was like reaching the hype and it was announced and, it, and it's like, wait, so they haven't filed like how much money they're burning. <laughs> like nobody's literally read this statement because they haven't put it out. It's like even, but it's like the level of due diligence is like kind of embarrassing, honestly, that people are doing. Yeah. It's just no due diligence yeah. essentially. So it's like, all right, this like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I completely, I, I think the whole SPAC thing is like, well, well it's, I, I had one more point on that actually for the Chamath, like he spacked mm -hmm. so many and I was like, okay, Chamath is dope. Like I kind of liked his rep. And then like, just as a lot of SPAC, it seemed like quantity over quality. And then like, you know, we're talking about 10 years in the future with Virgin Galactic. And then he like sells this stake and cashes out like, and it's just kind of like, this is the guy, like it just, everything was so kind of short-sighted. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like Chamath too, but like, you know, <laughs> people like people like doing SPACs because they just make boatloads of money and it doesn't actually have anything to do with the company like you know you look at Nikola like a company that wasn't planning to release a product for a year and they do this SPAC and you can just make a ton of money just hyping the stock um, but I think you know the whole SPAC thing is like it's really not great in, in terms of I think the SEC should probably look into this a little more because it's like what is a SPAC? Well, to IPO, you have to go through a lot of scrutiny, right? There's a lot of regulation kind of, you know, based on like Enron and all this stuff. There's tons of regulation and scrutiny that goes into doing an IPO. You have to kind of do a roadshow. You have to go around to all the banks and really do a roadshow on your company. You're expected to really have like a hundred million dollars in revenue before you do a traditional IPO. Um, and there's all this scrutiny, all this looking into something. You saw what happened with WeWork. Their IPO just fell apart because it's like, what is all this bullshit? You know, like dude is just buying all these, you know, jet tickets for himself and all this stuff. So there's a lot of scrutiny. And then someone said, hey, well, what if we just IPO a company that does nothing? You know, literally IPO a company that does nothing. Okay, easiest roadshow process to go IPO. Hey, what do you guys do? Oh, nothing. Oh, what do you, uh, what's your revenue? Oh, nothing. Okay, great. Well, you're just going to take the money from IPOing your SPAC and then use that to acquire another company. And then that company is kind of like going public through the back door. So it's like, okay, why are you going public through the back door? Why, why could you not make it in through the front door? Right. And all of these EV companies that really would have gone bankrupt because it's such a capital intensive business and they don't have the, the capital are like, hey, we can just do this SPAC thing. And like Nikola really made it, you know, really hyped it, got it into this big state it is. Like 
how Nikola just blew up and kind of tried to capture on all this Tesla hype um, with just like no technology, no products, just the worst company, total joke. And I think a lot of people were like, hey, if they're doing it, why don't we do it too? This is a yeah. way to like bring in the capital to actually do this. And, um, you know, I think a lot, most of them are going to fail. They're going to go under. They're not going to exist in the future. Yeah. And like, what, what is this fact? It's dilution. Like they're like all the insiders are cashing out and how many times have they set it up to where their restriction period is six months, but they're not delivering a product for a year. Genius. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, right. it's like, yeah. Uh, the, the way they have the incentive structure set up. So, and, and then if you're going to do yeah. a SPAC, like I've talked to a lot of startups that I'm investing in, it's like the high quality ones are not thinking about SPACing. It's all the low quality startups yeah. who, like you said, have yeah. ran out of options. Like, I think I saw a tweet yeah. from Ross Gerber that was like, watch out, the VCs are just dumping their losers on you with SPACs. And like, even like ChargePoint, it's like, that's a really dope company, like by far, like the best kind of charging non superchart, but it's like, that's just such a crappy financial business. They've been doing it forever. It's still not making money. Like the VCs just wanted to get out, like, and they realized they could get a really dope valuation if they did. So like, that's why they're cashing out. It's not like, uh, and if you're going to do a SPAC, you know, the traditional IPO was like 7% banking fee, right? Spotify, Slack, yeah. direct listing. It's like zero or 1% fee. We're not even selling shares. We're just listing them. SPAC's different. It's like, we're merging with this entity and we want to do it fast to literally like take this quick guap and we'll build 25% yeah. of our outstanding share count to this random entity that we don't care and bring on six extra board directors that we don't need. Yeah. Like just the sign yeah. of a company that like doesn't give a crap about the business and is just like taking the fast money and running. That is what the SPAC yeah. kind of strategy is. And so yeah, there's, there's going to be a handful of good so companies, but it's like, you know, why isn't Neuralink yeah. doing it? Why isn't Boring Company doing it? Why isn't SpaceX doing <laughs> yeah. a SPAC? Why isn't Impossible Foods doing a SPAC? Um, because it's not right. the right move if you're really thinking long-term, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's such a, I mean, you really hit the nail on the head. It's not a long-term thing. It's a short-term thing. It's like, we're going to bring in these random partners because we need to do this now. We're, we need to take a shortcut and we need to do this now. And it's a lot of dog shit. And it's a lot of dog shit that's getting unloaded on retail investors. And yeah, a moment of reckoning is coming where it's like, you know, they're trying, they're, tr they're doing this because like a lot of these companies, people can't tell the difference between a Nikola and a Tesla. They really couldn't tell the difference, you know? Yeah. And a lot so of them many saying, people oh, got just... fooled. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And it's so stupid. It's like, okay, just because they named it Nikola and the other companies named Tesla, like how stupid are you guys, you know, that you fell for this. But like a lot of people really can't tell the difference. They say, oh, okay, Lucid's making an EV. Tesla's making an EV. They're the same company, right? No, like Tesla's valuable because of the energy business. They're valuable because of the software. They're valuable because of autopilot. EVs are really the least exciting part from an earnings perspective, right? And from a valuation perspective, like, you know, most of the value I think is not going to come from selling cars. Like I said, you know, it's going to be like a commodity business long term. Um, and you're so competing with Tesla and Elon Musk. Hello. The last yeah. thing I want to compete with in the <laughs> right. world is Lucid Motors competing head on with the Plaid Model S. Like, you know what I mean? Like, right. it's not like this is an yeah. untouched segment here. Like, <laughs> yeah, completely agree. And I mean, you know, I think you saw just recently how fast the market turned when, when interest rates, um, when bond yields just went up just a little bit. And I think in the pandemic, with all these governments just pumping tons of money into the economy, pumping tons of liquidity in, 
buying bonds just artificially, just to bring down bond yields. They've been buying bonds. So everyone's like, well, fuck, I can't make any money buying bonds because the yield is like almost nothing. So mm -hmm. I'm just going to pump it all into equities. But then as the yields go up, they start to like run from those equities pretty quickly. Um, and I think as kind of this unwinds, you are going to see kind of this moment of reckoning for all these dog shit SPACs that are just like, okay, these companies are worthless, right? And I, I think that it could potentially um, even drag on Tesla in the short term, because like I said, yeah. people can't tell the difference. So if there is kind of like this EV bubble that pops um, and people are like, oh my God, I lost all my, all my Fisker investment. I lost <laughs> all my, you know, blink charging investment. I lost all my Nikola investment. I lost all my Lucid investment. Is my Tesla investment, you know, good too? So I think like, you know, it definitely is concerning. Um, and, uh, you know, it re just really makes me raise my eyebrows sometimes because this is really hard. Tesla may have made it look easy, but even for Lucid, Lucid is like the most mature of them, but you still see some of these things like, okay, this Saudi Arabia factory, like some of these things, you know, some of these things don't seem like great decisions. And it's like lightning has to strike seven times for your EV company to work out. Like Tesla oh, got yeah. lucky so many times, like being able to get Numi when Toyota and GM were like going bankrupt for like pennies, being able to like get Franz, being able, all these things that happened, it's like lightning strike type of luck. And yeah, like JB like meeting times. Elon, like scheming, like yeah. Elon, yeah, exactly. having Elon Musk willing to fund it no matter what even yeah. after it yeah. like fails six times. Like, you know what I mean? Exactly. Just work at the sleep on the factory floor. Everyone's making fun of Elon for that. It's like, dude, yeah. like Peter Rawlinson, <laughs> like that dude is not sleeping on the lucid floor probably. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he bailed from Tesla before they even shipped the Model S. So, and then he's always going and going like, oh my, oh, uh, you know, trying to play up the fact that he was at the Model S. It's like, bro, you didn't even make it until the fucking car launched. So now you're going to launch your own car? Like, Come on, and and people are just kind of like, oh, Lucid, like they kind of take it for granted that they're going to launch. Like, yeah, they're the most mature probably of all these facts, but um, it's not a done deal by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, even if they can do it, they're telling investors that in 2030 they're going to make 500,000 cars a year. So Tesla made 500,000 cars a year last year, and they're saying in 10 years they're going to make what Tesla made last year. So even in the dream rosy scenario where everything goes great, um, they're not even, you know, coming close to some of these other larger automakers. And it's this weird thing where like you're selling the stock as your product, not your car. That's kind of how I think about it. Yeah. And then you get in this, it's like you're trapped, like Rivian's trapped. If they IPO at 50 billion and then 80 billion, it's like, how do you live up to that? You know what I mean? Like I right. think that kind of, they, they kind right. of shoot themselves in the foot there. Um, and then like yeah. they start running the business based on how to live up to this hype and they kind of forget, I don't know, their kind of first principles. Yeah. Um, and then like, I think like Lucid, like they've done all these ads, they have like six showrooms. It's like the dopest, flashiest brand. Everybody's heard about yeah, it. Right. And they have 5,000 refundable deposits or 6,000, like not even a billion in revenue mm -hmm. after like spending millions on yeah. ads. It's like, dude, like this is like, like there isn't demand. Like if this was business school, it was like put up a landing page to see if people want your thing. They're crunching the ROI. Yeah. They're like, nobody really wants this thing. So I think when you think about Lucid and Rivian, like they're really operating to achieve the next investor milestone. And that's who's really driving the company. It's like this conglomerate yeah. of bureaucratic VCs and executives.
you know, it's not like a consumer yeah. focus, like we're bringing to market this product that the world needs that doesn't exist. Um, it's like, no, like actually the luxury sedan electric part of the market has been, that's where everyone is doing it, you know? Like yeah. that's Porsche, yeah. that's whatever. That's so, um, right, it's really hard. And, you know, nobody really wants to buy a car that you can't get serviced or you got to drive really far to get it serviced. I mean, this is something that Tesla's run into and they've had to, they've had to work on for like a decade. You know, it didn't, they didn't build all those service centers easily. And still they need more service centers for all these markets that they're in and more superchargers. And it's, it's a really, really tough nut to crack in this market. And if you do win, there's not that much money to make. So in a sense, when you're trying to sell the stock, it's actually helpful not to have any product because yeah. as soon as you have, as soon as you have a product and you have earnings, it's like, okay, well, they've got a million dollars in earnings. Now I can calculate the PE ratio and it's like infinity, right? <laughs> so you don't want people to start calculating the, the PE ratio, you know, the price over book, that kind of stuff. You want it to be kind of this pie in the sky, like, oh, imagine what we could do, you know, because once the reality of the product hits the road, then the valuation starts to be like, okay, when does this become justifiable? And that's why I think a lot of these facts go for these products that are like way far out, like, oh, we're going to do hydrogen in 2023 because they can sell the dream and cash out and leave retail holding the bag. Yeah. If you could make $50 million and not build an entire car company and work really hard to do it, like, why would you work really hard? You know, like, so they're paying yeah. all, it's, it's a disalignment of incentives. But um, exactly. Anyway, I'm really curious to see how this ends. But any any last thoughts before we wrap this up on on Tesla or or the SPACs in general or any kind of like, I don't know, the buttons coming. That's what I'm most hyped about. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, you know, I think we're at a turning point. So this is something we've been talking about for a long time. Like when you think about where Tesla started they were just proving an electric car could be good, right? So people didn't even believe that an electric car could be good. And Tesla said, okay, well, here's the Roadster. This can be a sexy electric car. And still people were like, well, electric cars are never gonna catch on. And they did the Model S and like slowly over decades, really, um, it's changed. And you're now seeing people say, okay, EVs are the future. Not just, before it was, EVs aren't even possible. Now it's like, okay, they are possible. And then it was, well, nobody wants an EV. They're not as good. And then that got disproven too. It's like, well, people do want EVs. They're actually better. And now you've now seen every automaker say, okay, by 2030, by 2035, they're all giving their dates. By this date, we're not going to make any more gas cars anymore. I mean, this is just mind blowing to think about. This was Tesla's mission to make everyone make EVs. And like, they succeeded in kind of a massive way beyond anyone's imagination that le huge legacy automakers, everyone who's serious is now saying, we're only gonna make EVs in the future past a certain date. And on top of that, you've now got the governments, you've now got the city saying, well, you better start making EVs because in 2030, 2035, we're not even gonna allow any new sales of gas cars in our cities. So this is just huge. This is just super, super exciting watching this market develop and watching everyone uh, do EVs. But the fact of the matter is, if we were just selling new cars, it would take decades to 
to replace all the gas cars with electric vehicles. So that alone, even though this is this huge monumental achievement, is not going to solve it. What it really comes down to is autonomy. Autonomy is going to be the way that we get everyone riding in an electric vehicle, where even if you have a gas car in the garage, you're like, fuck it, I'm just going to call a Tesla and I'm going to ride and it's going to be you know, charged on renewable energy. And so the deployment of this is like super, super exciting and super critical. It's going to save lives. It's going to energize the economy, make a boom like we've never seen. People are going to party. People are going to get drunk. It's going to be a ton of fun. Um, it's going to save a ton of lives, just like millions of people who die around the world every year in car crashes. And finally, we have a technology that actually scales, that actually can get around the whole world. That's not $400,000, that has the chance to take a serious bite out of this. I mean, let's say even, you know, 10% of the car of the cars are, you know, autonomous in the world, or 10% of the rides, I mean, and you're able to cut, you know, accidents in half. Well, that's like, you know, 100,000 people a year whose lives are getting saved, right? I mean, just the amount of economic loss, the amount of grief from these deaths, from these injuries that hurt people for life that we're eliminating. Um, and yeah. uh, it's going to be a transformation. You know, we don't have to feel guilty like, okay, the more the economy grows, the more we're polluting. We can really have economic activity that's like guilt-free because we have this new infrastructure. And I mean, you won't, you only see these kinds of shifts once every decade. Like every decade has a technology that changes everything. In the 80s, it was like the personal computer. Then in the 90s, it was the World Wide Web. Then in the 2000s, it was like the smartphone. And now it's AI and uh, autonomy and electrification of, of transport and uh, clean energy happening right now. Um, and there's huge opportunities for everybody. Like I think everybody, you know, hyperchange viewers and everybody should be thinking like, what are the opportunities for me as this happens? Like there's gonna be just like huge value creation. And like, what can I create? What can I do to like capitalize on these shifts that are happening? Because it's like kind of your whole hyperchange thesis really. Like the rate of change with software and all these things is just accelerating like crazy. Yeah. Um, and things are just happening faster and faster and like, it's a really fun time to just be watching this stuff. Yeah, the era of hyperchange and what you said was so powerful about Tesla, the economic or like, well, first of all, like the health aspect, the lives saved, the cost of the lives saved, of like personal grief, of actual cost to the taxpayers with the healthcare system. Like there's just so yeah. much there. And then, and the environment on top of that, like there's just yeah. so many sort of like actually, and I, I feel like the governments weren't really doing anything. Like it actually makes me sleep better at night knowing that Tesla succeeded and like, isn't this good financial position? Like no matter what happens in the world. They got 20 like, billion in the bank. They got 20 billion in the bank. Like it works. They're doing the 4680 autopilots booming. Like they're the mega pack work. The solar roof is working. Like they're going to give this technology to everyone in the world. Like this is what we like. This is what the U S government should have given NASA like $50 billion to do 30 years ago. Yeah. That they should have done <laughs> that. They didn't. And yeah. like the future is going to suck if we didn't have Elon and and the squad doing this. And so it's like, fuck, like, that's why I think it's really hard to understand Tesla as a company when it's really just like, dude, this is a movement for humanity. Like that people just yeah. got tired of fucking waiting on stuff to happen. 
and they're just like, I'd rather buy I like this car for 75 grand because I know that 75 grand goes to Elon Musk and the, the team just working 24 yeah. seven to fix all these problems. And like, as much as that's kind of an exaggeration or like people think it's ridiculous to say like that, but I think it's totally the wrong way. Like, I think the biggest like donation you can make to climate change is buying a Tesla or buying one of their products because mm -hmm. you're just supporting like yeah. the torpedo that's being shot at the fossil fuel and public health industry, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's like, just so so powerful so um yeah i feel like ex epic place to end the interview because that was that was a great spot. <laughs> yeah but thank you so much I mean, for coming on omar this is awesome yeah i mean love it gal you're doing a great job with hyper change and just, you know shout out to everyone on the tesla team not just elon but everybody like pouring their blood sweat and tears into making this happen because it is not easy and it is not over like it there's so much to go and even everyone in legacy auto you know making evs and pushing change forward and like you know fighting for this stuff like you know this one's for you like good oh, on yeah. you guys <laughs> love it all right well thank you all for tuning in leave us some comments below uh, we'll see y'all next time peace take it easy later